Welcome back. And we are back. We're ready. Welcome to Retirement Plan Playbook. I'm your host, Brent Pasqua, founder of RPA Wealth Management. And I'm here with Matthew Thiel, certified financial planner, and Joshua Winterswijk, certified financial planner. And we're excited to get into this topic today. Uh, we're we're going to talk about how to know when to hire a financial advisor. But before we get into that, uh, I wanted to ask you guys, the weather is really you know, starting to warm up. COVID is kind of winding down and, and you, know, you could see the end in sight. Summer's coming up. Do you have any summer travel plans? Hey, Brent. Nice to see you today. You know, I really want to travel. I, I want to get out there. I want to get uh, some kind of like resort or, or beach or pool trip going. Um, and, and the wife and I were looking at Hawaii. And honestly, we're priced out. It's expensive right now. Uh, I think everybody's looking at Hawaii or some kind of travel like that. And, you know, we just can't make it work with our schedule. So, yeah, no, no Hawaii. I might go up the coast or something like that, uh, do something in California. Uh, but, yeah, I'm definitely craving some kind of summer trip this year. I'm uh, no plans either, actually. LAFC soccer, summer of soccer, I'm excited for. But me and my wife don't have any plans set. I'm sure we'll look at that. But we got an expensive summer. We're uh, closing on a house in, in the summer, probably about July. So that might defer any trips until the fall. But uh, excited for summer to come. We could already feel the heat. It seems like there's an even more premium right now on hotel and air flights uh, for when kids are out of school right now. And that's probably why uh, many people are, seem to be getting priced out of it right now. Yeah, that and I think they're just raising prices um, to meet demand. And they're like, you know what? We got we got crushed last summer. We're going to make it all back this summer. So yeah, summer's not going to be travel like Joshua. I feel like you might get some good deals once school goes back in, like maybe September or October. So that's when I'll look to do my trip. When we started looking at vacations over the summer, um, what we started to really spend a lot of time on looking at is just some of the different dates that you could go. And I could find price breaks within certain dates and certain months. So I think, you know, right now you probably have, to, and it's probably booking up super quick. Just got to be a little bit more, um, uh, spend a little bit more time going through it to just try and find some wh where those dates are, where it's a little bit cheaper. That's a good idea. All right, let's jump into the hot take headlines. Uh, big in the news, this has been a massive story over the last week. Joe Biden is proposing a 39.6% capital gains tax rate, up from the current tax rate of 20%. Uh, with when combined with Medicare, the surge tax charge could be as high as 43.4%. This would not include state income tax laws. With people living in California and New York, that could exceed 50%. What are your thoughts on this potential tax rate hike? Yeah, so this is bad. Like, I, there's no way to sugarcoat this. Um, I, I think, though, for you know, listeners, I think we should talk a little bit about what capital gains tax is because um, there's probably some misconceptions. Um, Josh, will you just jump in and correct everything when I'm wrong here? Of uh, course. Yeah. So, it, when you are buying like a financial asset, like a stock or um, a bond or a house or even considered a business, right? Like you have a basis. And then you sell it for something and hopefully you made a gain. Like the difference between um, what you sell it for and your basis is your gain. That gain is what we call capital gains. And there's a special tax rate for it. And um, previously that had been the highest is uh, 20%, but 23.8% when you factor in that Medicare surcharge. Um, but for most people who um, are making under, I believe right now, it's somewhere around 400000 the, the rate's actually 15%. So it's extremely low. And then if you're under, I believe, 
a hundred thousand a year or maybe seventy five thousand a year? Is it seventy five? Yeah. Your capital gains tax rate is zero. And this guy Biden wants to raise it into the forties? That's ludicrous. When you say that, great explanation by capital gains, by the way. But it is different than the income you the tax you pay on your earned income. And I just want to yes. make that a point. So like Matt had said, any bond stocks, precious metals, real estate, property, you have a price that you purchase for and it you know hopefully grows and that difference between that price you purchase for and it grows is that capital gains like Matt said. But it is different. That tax bracket is a lot different than when you go to work and you get your paycheck. Um, you have ordinary income tax. And that is on a scale anywhere from, again, zero to up to, you know, almost 40% too. Um, so I just wanted to make that clear. The two differences, capital gains tax and income tax are two separate. And we are talking about capital gains tax, um, just to be clear on that. But why is capital gains, I guess this is just a question to you guys, why is capital gains tax differently than income tax? Because um, in this country, we want to spur investment. We want people to take investment risk. We want them starting businesses, buying financial assets. So therefore, we reward people for taking risks. So we tax them less on their gains. I'm for it. I just wanted to hear that because to kind of give the audience as well, like an explanation of why this is taxed differently. And I agree for investors. Why, why are we raising this so high? I'm in California getting close to 60% as the max capital gains rate when potentially the max was you know just a, above 20% is just crazy. Yeah, and I think one thing that has to be clear is remember that capital gains tax is tax that you're taxed on in after-tax accounts, right? It's not retirement accounts. Yeah, so your 401k's, your IRAs, this does not pertain to those. This is all after-tax money. But what I think it does for so many people is it makes it so much harder to want to invest. Cuz if you say, well, I have to take risk in buying, let's say Apple stock and then I go to sell it, and then I'm going to lose 40% of my gains when I sell it, when I just took the risk to make money on the stock. Uh, that seems very unattractive. Yeah, absolutely. And especially in America, I mean, we're talking about real estate. Real estate's so popular in America, not only just your you know, primary residence, that's a whole different topic, but looking at rental properties, va you know, vacation homes, all of those different types of property that you own, this does affect potentially those gains that you have embedded with any property you have that has accumulation. You know what I'm going to do? I think there's two things for most people to do here. The first play is you're going to, you should service your debt faster. You should be paying down your mortgage faster mm -hmm. um, because the trade-off's not going to be there on your expected rate of return between your mortgage, especially if you're around 3 to 4% and you know that they're going to pr pretty much take half your gain away if you buy a financial asset. Just start paying off your mortgage faster. Why? Because it's going to lead to early retirement. And then once you do is you start doing backdoor Roth IRAs. So everybody should start doing a non-deductible IRA contribution. You convert it to a Roth and then boom, now you have your Roth account going and they can't tax it. That's going to be the way around for most people. Not everybody. We can't say that. We can't say what? Everybody. Why? Well, I, I mean, I figured, I mean, with that compliance guy in here, it's got to be <laughs> some kind of compliance. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that's true. That might be a compliance I wouldn't say, compliance anyways, that is a complex strategy. Matt, I, I do like this strategy. I think it's very smart um, to get around the capital gain situation, you know, one that's complex, but also kind of easy. I mean, you explained it, you know, in just a few seconds. I don't think that it is um, necessarily for everyone. That takes a little bit more of an in-depth analysis. Sorry, I'm fired up <laughs> Just in my This opinion. makes me mad. Um, but I think you make a great point, though, is that there are ways to potentially avoid this too, right? 
if that is the case that this proposal um, is passed. How much of this is just political show where, you know, he's saying 39, but it ends up somewhere around 30 and then we kind of settle somewhere around this number? I'm hoping all of it. Yeah, I, I hope all of it is. I, I hope it, he actually doesn't raise it. And you see, all, there's already Democrats that came out and kind of are opposed this too. You know, because it's going to affect them as well. If he raises it, he won't get reelected. It creates the exact opposite of what we want from investors. We want investors to buy, hold, and keep their gains for their stocks for a long period of time and then sell them in the future when they need the money. And that's when you sell them. I thought there was an interesting uh, proposal by Chamath. Chamath uh, Palihapitiya? Yes. So what he, he was reacting to Biden's proposal, and he put in a modification to, to what he was basically saying. He said, if you hold it for less than one year, then raise capital gains tax to whatever you want, 75%. If you hold your stock for one to two years, 35% capital gains tax. Two to three years, 25%. Three to five years, 15%. Five to 10 years, 10%. And if you hold your stocks for 10 years or longer, then you have 0% tax on it. I mean, in theory, what this would do is eliminate short-term investors from the market and make people hold their stocks for long periods of time, which you know, would also seem to help companies and, and the market. That's such a better proposal. That's, that's great. I, I love that. So do I. Yeah, I, I really like you're giving a benefit for people to hold on to their investments, really you know, participating in the market the way it was kind of meant to be. And, and then this is what I thought was interesting. The day that this proposal came out from Biden's administration, they basically, the market tanked for what it was half a day. And then the next day, the market came out and it basically dismissed these changes and it was positive the next day. So I don't know, is, is this being taken seriously or not? I don't know. I'd like to think within that time, all the big investors called their lawyers and asked if they could move their companies overseas and they said yes. And so then now they're all uh, working on doing that. So they're going to avoid it anyways. And then it's just going to be the guys in the middle who can't quite move their companies overseas um, or their investments overseas who get stuck with this tax. Um, that's what I like to think at least. And it's just such an interesting time while we still have a lot of Americans that are you know, potentially struggling. We're still coming out of this recession um, and we're talking about capital gains tax. I think it is also, though, important that there is income thresholds for this increase as well um, to talk about. So, you know, your income has to be over a certain level in the proposal to see the increase in those capital gains rates. Yeah, this is a 1% thing. This isn't a 99%, right? So this is going to affect um, employees who work for large corporations that get stock options and who are making high six, uh, low seven figures a year in um, annual take-home pay. This is going to affect business owners who are you know, making probably mid six figures and who have very valuable businesses who they want to sell. Other than that, though, I, I don't know if I see this impacting that many people. Um, startup investors, definitely entrepreneurs like that. But um, for you know, most people who are working, um, you know, collecting a paycheck. Um, I don't really see this as much of a big impact. Uh, one thing to note though, too, and if, if I understand the, the rule correctly, this would go into effect retroactive to January 1st. So it makes no sense in if you think this is going to impact you trying to do something now. Oh yeah, it's over. If they pass it, everybody's done. So it's going to go into effect. And <laughs> Everyone's yeah, I mean, if you sold something this year thinking it's going to get taxed at 20%, well, there's a chance based on your income, it might get taxed at, you know, the 40 or the 50, like you're saying. Yeah. Don't go do something because this is being proposed right now because you're not going to get out of the lower tax rate. It's a good point. You yeah. got to wait out and see what's going to actually happen because it is just a proposal. Yeah. Your best strategy is actually probably never to sell if they raise the rate this much anyways. Yeah. And if you're trying to avoid that capital gains tax, because you have massive gains and call us because we could talk about other ways of shifting that wealth. What about um, the step up in, in basis removal? Well, you guys want to talk about that today or is that a different podcast? 
Yeah, we could talk about it. So is he proposing that they're going to um, take away step up on, on basis and inheritance? Yeah, so if you were to pass right now currently under the law, then your investment actually steps up to the value of when you pass. So the, your heirs who inherit it actually don't pay any tax on the accumulation prior to the grantor passing or you know the original owner. Is there an estate size limit? Um, I don't know. You know, that's interesting. I actually like that policy more than raising the capital gains tax because we should be taxing people who, it's better to tax people who are inheriting something than it is to tax people who are creating something. And when you're taxing capital gains, you're taxing creators. And when you're taxing inheritance, you're taxing people who didn't earn it. And from my understanding, they're, they're going to do that with property as well, right? That's part of it. Yeah. And again, for Americans, that's huge. I mean, a lot of, you know, families, you know, inherit wealth through real estate. Or, or property. And right now, you know, if you had a $250,000 house that, you know, let's say a, a family member owned and now it's worth 500 and they passed, again, now that step up in cost basis is now 500. You don't owe any tax. But if this proposal goes through that they eliminate that step up, now the person inheriting the house is paying taxes on that $250,000 gain. That's really big. I mean, especially, you know, for someone who maybe even was expecting it or thought had a certain amount. Or they, they were live in the property. Or they live in the property as well. Yeah. yeah. Yep. You could just see the massive amounts of challenges it would create. Oh, yeah. Cool. So they're they're going to be forced to sell. Correct. Yeah, that's a bad policy. Pay, yeah. you, can't, you can't pay the tax and you have to sell it. Oh, man. You well, know, well, three and a half more years, then we have, hold another election and hopefully. Well, I guess the, the one thing, too, is hopefully this thing doesn't pass, you know, and it doesn't yeah. go through and it saves, uh, you know, some tax problems here. Yeah, I think so, too. And we hope that even if it does, it's not, you know, it's just a, a slice of what is proposed, not, not the whole thing. And whatever political agenda you're on, I think what we want is what's best for investors. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So let's move on. Uh, let's get into the retirement planning corner. A personal finance author respect, Ramit Sethi, had a really an interesting tweet that we all, you know, consider really, we stopped to think about it. He tweeted the four signs you should need a financial advisor. Uh, so we thought we'd jump into this one and, and really kick off the, what some of those four signs uh, would be. The first sign that you would possibly need a, a financial advisor that was tweeted out would be, why would you want an advisor if you have over a million dollars in investable assets? Why would somebody want an advisor? Yeah, I think this is an interesting one to talk about. And I, you know, when I saw his tweet at first, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, definitely that makes sense. But then as we were preparing for the podcast, I was like, you know, I bet there's quite a few uh, investors with over a million who like kind of do fine going their individual ways. But really, I think when you, once you hit that million mark, that becomes a, a, a decent sized nest egg for most people. And you probably want some sort of professional advice on um, how to maintain it and continue to grow that, you know, amount of money. Is a million dollars even enough to retire off of? I don't know. What do you think, Josh? We get this question a lot about like how much is enough. To me, what I always think of when that question's asked is how much are your expenses? Because it goes hand in hand. I can't tell you how much you need unless we know how much, you know, how much you need in the nest egg, unless I know how much expenses are actually going out of your plan. So, um, uh, you know, a million dollars in today's dollars, it just seems like that is a lot more achievable, a lot more common, like it isn't as much as it used to be. Um, it's not going to last as long as it used to be, obviously. But I think that the threshold is definitely a, a good one if you're listening or you're reading to think about, you know, if you do need help now. I mean, because it is getting more complicated once you hit that million dollar threshold. Is a large portfolio where there is over a million dollars 
sort of like having a bigger house versus a smaller house. If you have a real small house, maybe you don't have as much complexities with utilities or, or, or keeping it up. But the larger your house, the more problems you begin to have. It's harder to maintain. Uh, do you see that in portfolio sizes? More money, more allocations, more assets you're holding, more stocks, more positional challenges. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. And then, it, it, you know, it's also a different ballpark. You have more, I guess, more skin in the game, right? You have a million dollar house. Well, in some way, you put probably a million dollars into it to get that house. And same with that portfolio. Sure, you put it in, but, you know, you grew your money over time and then you got to figure out how to maintain it. So absolutely good analogy. How much value can an advisor bring when a client has this much money? Oh, tons. And, and like you had just talked about when you're talking about just the tax implication of investing that much money. So, you know, you have a million dollars and if, even if it's between a 401k and after tax account, savings account, well, however you have it distributed, just the analysis of now when you do retire or you have that much money and how you're going to take that money out of those accounts and that tax implication is there's just tons of value there that an advisor can provide and the tools that they have. And then also just, you know, with allocation, making sure that like your expectation is met from the money as well. You've earned, you've done such a good job of building this nest egg. I think it's really, really important now to make sure you preserve it. That actually matches your expectation of how it should be preserved or the expectation of how it should be growing. An advisor can really research that and showing you um, so you just feel more comfortable now that you have this very, very large nest egg. Yeah. And then also, you know, managing out is this after tax or is it pre-tax, right? If it's um, pre-tax money, you're going to play ordinary income on the withdrawal. So there'll be the withdrawal strategy angle. But if it's after-tax money, I mean, you can manage the dividends, you can manage the capital gains in the portfolio. Um, there's a lot you could do as an advisor, um, you know, to add bottom line value to the client's uh, tax return and investment returns over the long term. Yeah, because if you have money in an after-tax account, and then you have money in a pre-tax account, you can manage what positions are in the after-tax for taxable advantage versus the pre-tax. If you're making new money contributions into the 401k plan, you can kind of manage how those new allocations are being invested. And it seems like, you know, the, the larger the portfolio, the more complex it can get. It seems like the more value add that can be done as well. Yeah, I agree. And then from an advisor standpoint, right? Like we're all advisors here. We're running a business and, you know, clients who, who don't have that much money aren't quite there yet. There's lots of good um, low cost options out there for you to uh, go get a, a good portfolio that will help you grow to that level, which I think is important to add as well. I think those are all great points. Let's get into the next one. So what would be an example of some complex financial situations that would require the expertise of an advisor? give you a couple examples um, here and I'm sure we can kind of keep the list going. But just to start off retirement, um, you know, we've talked a lot about this is the retirement plan playbook, but it is probably one of the biggest financial transitions, you know, people go through in their life. So, of course, at that time and having a think partner to help you with that transition, I think is just very valuable. And then also um, selling a business, another big transition point, especially in, you know, in America that we have so many small business owners um, that is maybe not one that comes first um, to everyone's mind, but I think it's very important. And then also just anyone with company stock options. There are so many rules, um, tax rules, regulations, um, vesting schedules with company stock options that I think it's very important to consult with an advisor um, when you're actually working with um, that particular product. And then also inheritance, another big transition period that I think, you know, a situation where an advisor can provide tons of value. 
Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. The number one um, reason that people usually do reach out to any advisors uh, for that retirement help. That's kind of like that big, I guess, life moment where most people realize that they need the help of a, of a professional to get them through retirement. You know, selling a business is that one where I'm, I'm sure um, you'll agree with me on this, Brent, that you actually wish people would reach out more. That, you know, sometimes business owners, I think they try, they're used to doing it all themselves or, you know, kind of trusting their gut. But, you know, going to sell your business isn't a gut decision. That's something that you want someone who, who's worked on a deal team before, who's worked with clients who have sold a business and kind of understand the moving pieces there. And I think like from a business owner's perspective, right, they probably think that nobody's going to really be able to come in here and understand my business the way that I do. So why do I need to help selling it? Which you could understand that like that thought, but usually business owners aren't really selling very many businesses. They're usually selling their one baby that they've been raising for the last 35 or 40 years. And this is their first time to really sell this thing. Yeah, and if you if you are a business owner, you want to sell your business. Uh, one mistake I see is people reach out, you know, the day they want to sell it. Oh, I want to put my business on the market. Like I want to get out in six months. Like, you know, you need to reach out to an advisor maybe five to six years before you sell your business. What that advisor is going to do is actually like begin with looking at the end. Begin with looking at what the dream is. You know, when you're so busy as a business owner, you know, you're thinking about making it today and maximizing growth for today or this year. What an advisor can provide, you know, through that transition is actually helping you look at, you know, the outcome, the end, the dream, your lifestyle. I think that's just really important and can provide a lot of value. I think one of the things that advisors do well when working with business owners and when they're really getting ready to sell their business is they're making their business look really nice and completed. And it's kind of like a real estate agent who comes into your house, they're going to put it on the market, they stage your house, they make it look super nice, they make it look the way it's supposed to look, and then they put it on the market. Advisors do the same thing for business owners. You get it in position to sell. You come in, you fix all the things that need to be kind of cleaned up, and you make it super marketable, and you take some of that emotion out of it. You know, it's hard seeing staged furniture come into your house. It's hard seeing making some, a couple of these adjustments, but it's going to market your business so that it can sell at a top dollar. Yeah, absolutely. Love that analogy as well. Why is it better though for an advisor to solve these issues than a person really trying to do them themselves? Well, to me, I think this is a simple answer, right? It's always two minds are better than one. Like you're going to want some professional guidance. I mean, as advisors, we've seen so many different people in different situations and everybody's situation is unique, but a lot of people have common themes, you know, across their plan. So I I think having an extra brain that could be like, oh no, this will work. This won't work. Uh, You know, here are your four options. Let's lay them out and explain them to you so you understand. That's worth millions of dollars. Does software and cause and effect that you can calculate within software extremely helpful? Yeah, that's why when Matt was talking, that's that's one thing that popped into my mind was, you know, hiring an advisor, you're hiring also someone to do that research for you. The research, the analysis, they have the tools and software that know will work to help you and provide value. So, you know, you're hiring someone that's not only helping you in this very hard and emotional time, like a lot of these situations are, you know, difficult and they're going to be able to help you do all of that research, provide that software that's just going to help you make a better decision. I think those are all great points. And, you know, when I when those are, are being talked about, it really brings me to point number three. And point number three on, on how to know when to hire a financial advisor would be um, of some s- examples of 
when you know you need to have a, a temporary set of eyes on things. What would be some of those examples? Um, yeah, so I have a few here on my paper. Let's say you have a pension and you want to do some analysis there, um, figure out what option you select. That's a popular one. Uh, one for kind of the crowd, call it, you know, under 40 is, um, you know, can I afford a home? How much home can I afford? Um, kind of that first home decision. Um, and the same one with the under kind of like 40 crowd is, you know, putting together a plan to pay off the student loan debt or even credit card debt as well. And then lastly, you know, those savings strategies, you know, I'm making X, how much of my paycheck should be going to my emergency fund versus my retirement account versus my kid's school. Those are kind of those temporary projects that I think advisors could help people with. I think there's a couple that, you know, I want to add to there too, is even like marriage or divorce, like in other transitions where like there is a big change in like the financial situation. Um, that you definitely need a temporary set of eyes to maybe just start a quick plan for you when you get married or, or getting you back started, you know, like we said, with divorce. So this is another couple different times when I think that an advisor set of eyes can definitely provide some value. If you are working with your advisor and, and they're assisting you, like what is some of the long-term financial impacts that that can have for somebody? Like how could it benefit them? Well, if you have, you know, poor credit, right, you have a lot of debt, it's kind of going to compound itself, meaning when you go for new debt products, um, whether, you know, home, a car, you're probably going to get charged a higher interest rate. And you could tell that, you know, based on your credit score, that's one way to look at that. So if you work with an advisor to kind of pay off some debt, get that credit score rebuilt, then when you go to buy um, a, a new product on credit, your interest rate could be lower. We worked, Josh, together on so many clients with paying off their mortgages or doing amortization schedules or looking at long-term interest and how much they're going to pay. How much have you seen that when somebody has a higher interest rate because of bad credit and not being prepared, how much more they're going to pay over the lifetime of their home? Oh yeah, it's thousands. And, and if we're just looking at all of the cases that we've worked on, I mean, you're probably getting close to you know millions of like do more dollars spent. And you know who's benefiting is the, the actual lenders, not the client. And that's what we're, you know, as advisors are trying to uncover is the value. We don't want to pay extra money to the lender. So what steps can we take to reduce that amount that you just talked about, which is paying higher interest than you need to because of bad credit or because of poor planning? We want to pay less to uncover that value. And it's really important. And it's just going to put you in that much of a better situation if you get started. What are some other examples, Matt? Um, you could look at, you know, a savings strategy, um, you know, putting money in that emergency fund, that 401k plan. Like I mentioned, how, how much goes here? Maybe, you know, do we save for the kids' college? Um, you know, stuff like that. Whether someone's high net worth or not, how many times have you seen it where they come in and the substantial amount of money is just sitting in their regular bank savings account? Oh, that's really common. Yeah, like the saving strategy and the investment strategy isn't just being maximized, regardless of the net worth, low or high. Um, and I think that that's, you know, really important. You don't want to sell yourself short either, right? Paying yourself first and selling yourself short is just going to create an issue later down the road. So solving it sooner, regardless of your net worth is, you know, going to be positive for your overall family and your situation. What's that rap song, Josh, where the lyrics go like, more money, more problems? Do you remember <laughs> yeah, that? Uh, Mace P. Diddy. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Totally true. Yeah. yeah so, you know, yeah. absolutely. The more money you have, probably the more complex, more problems you have. And, you know, the more help you most likely need. That's a great song, by the way. And there's so, <laughs> there's so many good online savings accounts nowadays that just having your money sitting in Bank America, Chase, City, or any of the major banks, U.S. Bank, I mean, you're just throwing away money every month. You, there's free money sitting there. Yeah, the, the banks are, are benefiting, you're not. 
Yeah. You're only doing that for access, ease of access. That's mm -hmm. the only or, reason. It's or there. just not knowing where to put it that you trust. That's true. You know, BlockFi on US dollar coins give an 8% right now. Just going to drop that in there. That's for another show. Go back to the crypto uh, savings accounts. <laughs> and that is not part of the recommendations that we're talking about <laughs> Full here. Full disclosure, yeah. it's not a part of the recommendation. Okay, so those are all good tips on the first three. Uh, let's get into number, the last one, number four. What types of personalities could benefit from behavioral coaching? I'll start the list off. So we have um, spouses not on the same page, also the know everything type, compulsive spenders, short-term thinkers, and instant gratification. I love the know everything type. So let me tell you about the know everything type. They probably listen to this show and say one of us is like stupid or all of us are <laughs> stupid, right? They're constantly saying the opposite of what somebody else is saying. Those are my favorite types of personalities. Are those the people you like to work with? No, they actually aren't, aren't clients because they know everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they might need an advisor. Yeah, and I think we talked about this last show about spouses uh, not being on the same page. I think this is such an important one and we'll, why. Yeah, we did talk about that. And I think, it, again, you're bringing someone into the room that's going to have an ob objective you know, opinion about the situation instead of, you know, kind of just it being a confrontation. You know, they're going to take the stance of doing what's in your best interest. So even if one spouse isn't on the other the same page as the other, this advisor, you know, you hire an advisor to come in and be objective can definitely help you break that barrier that you're struggling to break. I feel like as Americans, we're just not taught very well how to manage our finances. It's not taught well in high school. It's not taught well in college. And then we get to our 30s, 40s, or 50s, and we carry these bad habits all the way throughout our life. And we spend all this extra time working more hours, doing the grind, and trying to make more money, or, and taking all this debt for college. But we never really learned how to manage very well what we have coming in and what we have going out. And that to me is sort of mind boggling. It is. And I also think like just to add on to what you just said, because I completely agree with you that it's not talked about enough, but it's not even talked about enough about in the household, I feel like. Like that conversation is is very private um, for a lot of people and even to share with their children. So like that financial knowledge is never even passed on because again, the financial conversations aren't even being had. So, you know, it's just really hard to to build on that financial education from a young age because it's it's not really easily achievable. Do you see the same traits happening with higher net worth people as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're prone to the same mistakes as someone uh, with with lower uh, lower net worth. And, and I think, you know, that's another great reason to sit down with an advisor. Get those habits, get them, get them straight and um, learn. You know, so much from going through the CFP education for me, was, I, I think a lot of these things are like kind of common knowledge, right? Like, for instance, um, if you have equity in a home, what does that mean? How do you use it? Um, can you buy a new home with that equity? Should you pay off credit card debt or student loans? Can you access that to put a pool in? Um, these are things that as I've talked to people, a lot of them don't understand that. Or even, you know, their retirement accounts, how much should they be saving? Um, what's, what are the projections going to be when you go to retire? How much are you going to have based on what you're saving right now? Those, those are those little things that to my brain, I automatically know it when I see the numbers, but you know, 99% of people don't. So what's that journey like for somebody who comes in, who's struggling with some of these personality traits, whether in a marriage or just themselves, short-term thinking, impulsive spender from sitting down with an advisor and struggling with these things to coming out on the other side of it with a lot of clarity. Like what is that journey sort of like? 
Well, hopefully for them, it's, you know, eye-opening to learn, but you have to be open to it. Um, you can't go in and sit with a professional and um, not be really willing to hear their advice. If it is, you're kind of wasting your time and your money, and then you're wasting that professional's time. So it can be an eye-opening experience if you're ready for it. Uh, but if you're not, you know, th then don't come in and sit with a professional either because that's just a waste of your time and their time. But I think if you're not too, and just to, you know, go on the, the other side of this, which is, do your spend the time to do your research you've worked really hard to for your income for your job whether if it's through school building wealth and now you have let's say you know this big nest egg or this high net worth um but you're not spending the time to actually protecting it to grow it and to learn from it it does require a lot of work right. you know and, and an advisor can help take some of that work off of your plate but it, it isn't something that when we've seen this with so many people, it isn't something you can put in the corner and just leave it there. You know, it does take nurturing. It does take, you know, a lot of different strategies and, you know, a lot of work to keep that net worth and to continue it for it to grow. So an advisor can just help with that if you're not willing to do it yourself. I think a lot of times for me, like these are my favorite situations to begin doing planning with when somebody comes in and they've got complexity in their financial life or they're on two different pages. And there's just so much murkiness to what they're doing and they don't understand where they're going. And then to watch over the next six months, this go from just the complexities and somewhat animosities and just the unknowns to getting to the other side of pure organization and clarity and understanding and people being on the same page. I think it's, it's an amazing process. And I wish more people could go through it because it does really strengthen not only relationships, but people's mental understanding of finances. Yeah, and you're giving them confidence to make decisions in their life. Yeah, and you see the big picture. There's a bigger picture to all of this. We understand what the bigger picture is, and the advisor's helping us solve for the bigger picture. Why is recommending a fee-only advisor important? And, and as this is just an add-on, what is that? Yeah, so I thought this was the part that really got me interested about his tweet. Um, one, you know, because we are fee-only and we talk about a, a lot on our show, why fee-only is better. And I, I like that a personal, a personal finance author, blogger, um, personality like, like Ramit, who's well-respected, is saying, hey, you know, if you want to work with an advisor, you better go hire a fee-only one. And for what that is for people who haven't heard it on the shows is you're paying your advisor for advice they're not making money on a product. So you're getting advice that's already paid for. You know there's no backdoor relationships with any companies. They're not making any commission. You're paying for your advisor's time when they're fee-only. And that's a big difference than the, how the industry is modeled right now. And I'll give some example to this because I think it's important for people to hear. I, you know, I started in on the commission side uh, when I was young in, in my career. But let me give you an example of what this actually means. Let's say somebody were to invest $100,000 and they were the broker advisor were to put them into a mutual fund with a front end load of 5% or an annuity with a 7% commission on it. That advisor up front is going to make $5,000 or $7,000 just on that transaction. And a lot of those transactions have trails. So they're getting paid off that continually for the next several years. If you're working with a fee only advisor and they put $100,000 into an account, the advisor who's managing, let's say their, their feeling advisor is charging 1% a year to manage the assets under management. They're only getting paid $250 a quarter and it's not till the following quarter. So like you're literally not getting paid for probably six months and it's a very minute amount. So and if an advisor chooses to be fee only, 
they're only purely doing it to do it in the best interest of clients. Because if it was about money, they would just go the commission route, like 95% of the industry, and just go make the big lump sums of money up front. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then also too, um, the nice thing about paying for your own planning is you're, you're a little bit more in control, right? Like a lot of these people who meet with these commission-based advisors, they hate them. And why? Because they only hear from their advisor when they want to get sold a product. You know, you hear from someone like us six, seven times in the first six months, we'll meet face-to-face with a new client. And then after that, they're on a quarterly review process, seeing us every, every three to four months. I mean, that's just a completely different relationship. Yeah, and I think you follow the money, right? Uh, I mean, the relationship in a fee-only in a fee-only relationship with the client is our clients are are paying us. We work for them, right? We're not working for the insurance company or the mutual company that's paying us the commission. That money is being transferred from that client to pay for the planning and the investment advice to the advisor. So our interest is with that client. I mean, we don't have any other interest, you know, besides that. So I think that that's just obviously the best way to get your advice because the other route, you know, obviously someone's benefiting more than the other. Yeah. Like you write a check or, you know, you pay RPA Wealth as a company and then RPA Wealth pays us all salaries. That's how we get paid. We don't make commissions. There's no commission going on. Right. And, and there's two, you know, there's the planning. If you're doing planning, there's an upfront planning fee. And then if we're managing assets under management, there's a fee for assets under management. But I think what's critical too is like, let's say that you were working with a client for 18 months or 12 months and you were charging them 1% a year on that 100000 And that's $1,000 that they've now paid you in a fee. And what happens if we didn't do our job, right? They weren't happy. Then they leave. They, we spend all that time and then we just made $1,000. But for an ad- broker or an advisor who gets commissions, they've gotten their $5,000, their $7,000, their $8,000 up front. And if you leave, they, they don't lose that money. That money's in their pocket. Yeah, how does that tie you to the client to be, keep proactive planning going? It doesn't. I, I think it's important too for people to understand why we think commission is a poor model. So if you put 100000 in, that means when your account's open, you know, with that 5% commission example that Brent gave, you now have 95000 So just by signing that paper, you lost $5,000. With mutual funds. With mutual funds. That's correct. And that 5000 went to the pocket of your broker. Right. And then on the annuity side, it's even worse. Explain how that works. So if somebody put $100,000 into annuity and then they got offered this beautiful bonus that they were thinking that they were going to magically have this free money in their account for the next 10 to 15 years, the person selling it, the insurance agent or the advisor, is generally going to get a 5, 6, 7, 8% commission. So they get $7,000, let's call it in the middle, up front. They get paid right off the top, a big fat $7,000 check. And then the advisor is lock them into a, this product for 10 plus years. And really what's his incentive to keep servicing the client because he already just got paid. It is zero incentive. And one of the other things too is, you know, nowadays there's just, there's not that many fee only advisors that specialize in working with business owners or complex estate plans, because a lot of these types of advisors are really there to sell that, that big life insurance product, that big annuity, that those big mutual funds. And what comes with that is this big paycheck as they're signing on these clients. Fee-only does not work like that. It's the exact opposite of that. Yeah, I, absolutely. Um, and and I, I think that's why Ramit hit the, hit the nail on the head there. Um, fee-only network, NAPA, that's where you find fee-only advisors. Um, obviously, if you like our personalities, you think you'd work well with one of us, 
reach out to us, rpaywealth.com. We're free only and we'd love to help you, you know, build your financial plan and uh, help you with your money as well. There's nothing that fires me up more than the feeling conversation. I could see it on your face. Yeah. Like I could go on for another 45 <laughs> minutes with this and it'd probably just well, be just, me ranting very angry about why the industry is so messed up. I, I think though, like that passion shows and I think it's good because you know, we've, you, you've made that decision. We're all here. We all have that same vision of serving the client, you know, a particular way. And so there is passion behind it. I think even for myself and, and Matt can touch on this too, but the passion's there because we've made that decision to do what's right for the clients. And I'm proud of that. Yeah. And the, the thing too, I think what fires me up the most is that the decision advisor makes with a client can truly impact their life so greatly. And there's so many people in this industry, so much, such a large percentage of advisors have really a negative impact on the outcome because they're not really giving honest, fair advice. And to me, that's not humanity. I, I just don't think it's right. They're, they're not educated or they don't have the proper credentials. But that, that, I mean, that's a whole other um, kind of rabbit hole to go down about the credentials you need to actually, you know, be an advisor. Uh, Josh and I, CFPs, uh, you obviously hired us, so you, you know what you're doing. Um, Are but- you cutting me off on this topic? No, I'm not. Well, <laughs> kind of. I was going to start talking about real estate to make you happy. Um, but, you, you know, if you're working with someone, make sure they have a CFP because at least, you know, they've gone through the training to know how to build a proper financial plan using the six-step financial planning process. Is it six or seven steps? I think it's six steps. The six-step financial planning process. Um, be only CFP, you're in good hands. All right. So let's uh, get to the best part of the show. Let's get into the RPA recommends. You look like you're ready to go. Why don't you tell us what you have? <laughs> I'm ready to go. No, I'm, I'm good. Good show. Um, my Peloton finally came. So I got a Peloton. My wife ordered one for me for my birthday back in January. Um, it was delivered this last week. Uh, I've been waiting for it. I was a avid spin class goer before COVID hit. So I was disappointed that I couldn't do that over COVID. So finally got my Peloton, written it three times so far. Love it. Guess that's my recommendation. Um, I don't know if you guys have talked about yours or if you want to, but um, I was excited to to share that I finally got mine and I love it so far. Yeah, I like my Peloton too. But funny you get yours as COVID's winding down because Brent and I were going to uh, Soul Cycle after this. Uh, <laughs> See, that's the class, thing. So. That's the thing I always thought. I'll still I'll still go. I'm I'm still down to go to the class. But it is just nice to get up, roll out of bed, click your shoes on, and and get on the bike and start spinning. So it's yeah, a it's new really way to nice. work out. It's a Peloton's a product, um, you know, that gained popularity in the pandemic. But really, as I have it now, it's it's one for you know busy adults. You have kids, you're you're busy at work. There's really no excuse not to get on. Yeah, yeah, and promoting health and fitness is is good. Full disclosure, I, I do own Peloton. Oh yeah, um, me too. So um, that's just full disclosure from me. As Brent does too. But uh, yeah, love it. Um, really, really, really nice product. So I'll, I'll give an update in a few months to see if I still like it. But so far, so good. Yeah. So I was thinking of what to recommend, and I'm gonna go with one that I bet you guys would never guess that I actually own. But do you guys know what a shot vac is? Yeah. So I I got one um for for my garage, and it's uh it's pretty it's pretty awesome actually. Um, you know, they suck up everything. I got the car attachment so I could use it in the car and it's, you know, going through and sucking up all the dirt in the car. You're just, you're full dad now, man. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm a dad. <laughs> you're, you're recommending I, shot back. I was like, what I, brand uh, did you get? 
The expensive one from Home Depot. <laughs> okay. It's the orange one from Home Depot. I don't know. It's a top rated one on all this stuff. I think it's like a professional one. Oh, okay. Nice. Um, super powerful. It literally sucks everything up. It's nice because you can keep your garage nice and clean. It's basically like a vacuum for your garage. Yeah, dude. You can use that thing for everything. Pulling in, anything spills in the house, you could suck it up too. Yeah. Use yeah. it for your car to vacuum. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got the car kit. I, yeah, I nice. add that on. So, really nice product. Highly recommend it if you want to keep a clean uh, house, backyard, and car. Nice, dude. One of the things I think that my wife and I and kids really benefited from from the whole COVID situation over the last year is we talked about this in the past is just being able to learn how to cook. But we uh, were continuing to order from uh, Siete, which is an American Mexican brand that basically has like non-GMO, much healthier product in terms of like chips and seasonings. And um, now they have cookies, like Mexican wedding cookies that are just phenomenal. And a lot of it's dairy-free or gluten-free, soy-free. Biscochos? Yeah. Mexican all, wedding cookies? They're delicious. Their products are amazing. If you guys have time, go check it out, Siete. Um, and the other thing... To piggyback on that too, not only is the product good, but one thing that we we talked about in our last shows that's critical: whenever you're buying something online, please use coupon codes, please. Because <laughs> anytime you're buying stuff, there's coupon codes. It seems like for everything, you could save money. Always try to save your money. <laughs> honey, uh, coupon codes. You still using Honey? I use Honey. If I can't find it on Honey, I go out looking for um, coupon codes. Just on look, those things searching. don't work. Don't waste your time. Yeah. Let's talk Matt about. Doesn't know what uh, he's talking about. Real quick on the siete though, 100% right. That taco seasoning is the best taco seasoning I've ever had. If you make homemade tacos at home, ground beef, ground chicken, ground turkey, get that taco seasoning Brent's talking about. It's going to change your life. It's so good. I, I endorse Siete too. I love their story about their family. I think it was the daughter who had a, like a gluten intolerance and that's how they like you know came up with the idea to make healthier uh, Mexican food products. So great story, great company. Yeah, and they have enchilada sauce, which is amazing. Tortillas that are almond flour. I mean, there's just amazing, amazing products. Could really help change your healthy gut. So we're helping your money. We're helping your health here at RPA. Love it. All right. So as advisors, we love helping people, and that's why we do it. If you'd like to schedule a, an appointment with us or give us some feedback, please go to rpawealth.com and schedule a complimentary consultation. You can also go to our website to find out more information, or if you like the show notes, please go to our retirementplanplaybook.com. As always, thank you for listening to the show today. Thanks, guys. Thank you. RPA Wealth Management is a state-registered investment advisor located in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. RPA Wealth Management may only transact business in those states and jurisdictions in which it is registered or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. A copy of RPA Wealth Management's current disclosure statement, Form ADV Part 1, containing RPA Wealth Management's business operations, services, and fees is available by accessing the SEC's Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website. RPA Wealth Management will provide Form ADV Part 2A from Brochure and 2B Brochure Supplement to interested parties upon request. Information provided on this podcast should not be construed as a solicitation or offer or recommendation to acquire or dispose of any investment or engage in any other transaction. RPA Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personal investment advice or financial planning advice through its podcasts. RPA Wealth Management podcasts are intended for information and educational purposes only.